0: Amen. This morning, welcome. We're joining together in our series in the book of 2 Corinthians. Uh, We are going to find ourselves beginning at chapter 12 this morning. Uh, How many have been uh, here the entire series, 2 Corinthians? It's a long book, right? And it could be sometimes a daunting book. Uh, It's a book full of stuff that is difficult at times to read through, to comprehend what exactly Paul's talking about as he writes a a thesis work of defending his ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so there's so much to take out of it, so much that God has for us, as we see a man who had given his entire life over to preaching and teaching the good news of Jesus Christ in a world that was desperately in need of hope. And so this morning I've entitled my message Built Strong. Now, I was at Hume Lake Summer Camp. I was with the little kids, and they have a tree house that's probably 30 or 40 feet up in the air. It's several stories tall. And I was, as I was up in that tree house, I stepped on a board, and it creaked. And in that moment, I really was starting to think about this idea of, is this built strong? Why do I care? Because everything in me is depending on that board to hold my weight so that I won't go crashing through it down 30 feet to my death or at least my hospital visit right at the very least and so we we uh, we go through life and we have things that we expect in our world to be built strong do we not so I did a little uh, a little look on online this week, and I, I found some images that portray some advertisements, if you will, that use this idea of being built strong. And so I, I want to show you a few of them that I found. First of all, built strong constructions. Now, who wants to hire them, right? I mean, just their name alone, they could do really lousy work. I don't know, but we desire that whatever's built in our life, including that treehouse, is built. Strong. What else, what else is out there, I wonder? Oh, look at this. We got authentic channel lock. Do you know what channel locks are? How many men are in here? Arr. Who needs a pair of channel locks from time to time, right? We want our tools to be built what? Strong. The things that we use in life, we want them to be dependable. We want them to hold up to whatever conditions they might face in the midst of our job. Do we not? So, hey, these guys hit it on the mark. I don't know who they are. Again, I am not promoting these. I'm just simply browsing the internet, finding things, and wanting to present them. What else is Build Strong? Look at this, Build Strong Academy. What else does our world value as Built Strong? Our minds, right? We want the minds of our children to have a strong foundation. We value education. We value things that are gonna... Promote bringing our kids to a strong mental foundation. Build Strong Academy. Who wants to enroll their child there? It's probably like sixteen hundred a month. Good luck affording it. What else do we? Uh, what else? Do, oh, look at this. Built Strong. Strength Club. I was. I was. I was thinking of kind of showing some of my videos. No, I. I really. I. You could tell I don't hit the gym often, right? But. Do we not value, does our world not spend money on trying to get our physical bodies into shape? Do we not kind of celebrate those with a summer body, right? And we spend lots of money, we spend lots of time trying to burn off all those calories and cookies and desserts that we love and enjoy. But because we value the idea of being built strong in our body, what else? <laughs> who's a Ford man here? Ford man, look at this, built stronger to last longer. You know what's funny? I saw a Chevy ad, I didn't, I didn't put it up here, but it says, built strong with Ford uh, strength to be a Chevy, with, built with Chevy parts. And I was like, they're so lame. I'm sorry, but like, Ford just, they got this motto and it's like the best. I mean, who can, we want our trucks to be tough. I, dri- I drive a Toyota, I have to admit, because honestly, I just want something that's going to be reliable and not break down, and you know, like, right, right, Ford, Ford may be tough, but it's found, uh, found on road dead many times, so just kidding, if you're a Ford person, I love you too. But these are all the things in our world, just just a quick uh, perusal of the internet. We can find all these little advertisements, but what does God have to say? What does he value is built strong? Well, there's a, a man that wrote a very small book of the Bible. His name is Jude. He happened to be the brother of Jesus. Now, imagine being the brother of Jesus, right? I mean, shoot, he wins every chess match. He's like perfect. He never makes a mistake. And... There's something that Jude, because he wasn't a man of faith until after Jesus died and rose again, and suddenly he realized, like, wow, that brother of mine that I really didn't like, he actually was the Savior, the Messiah for all Israel and the world. And so he wrote, and he became one of the disciples, one of the leaders in the early church, and he wrote these words. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit— Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. What is it that we need to be built up strong in? The faith. And so this morning, I really believe that the Apostle Paul, from his life, gives us some clues, gives us some insight in what it takes for us to be built up strong in our faith. Built up strong. In our salvation, built up strong in Christ. Who's excited? All right, well, let's take a, a dive this morning. If you're if you have your Bible, join me in first, or I'm sorry, Second Corinthians chapter 12, 2 Corinthians. And if you uh don't have a Bible, um, we do have Bibles available in church. Can you believe that? Um you're, it's they're yours for the taking. I think they're on that table. Am I wrong, Kurt? They should be somewhere If you're not sure, just find John and Melissa. Raise your hand, John and Melissa. They can point you to a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we want you to have one. Take one and make sure that you um, can read it this week and continue to look at what God has for your life. So um, please take one. If you did bring one, most of us have it on our electronic device these days, right? I have it like in 400 English versions and like other languages, Sometimes I just flip to like the Greek Bible to see what it looks like or, you know, the, the Spanish Bible to see how my high school Spanish is doing. Not very well. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Boasting is necessary. Wow, interesting, Paul. Boasting is necessary? Wow. I mean, all these years I've been boasting about my Jets and my Mets and all these teams that I root for. He just gave me permission. He actually said, that's a godly thing, right? No, we got to keep reading. It is not profitable. But I will move on to visions and revelations of the Lord. Most early manuscripts actually have it translated this way. It is necessary to boast, but it's not profitable. But I will go on. I will proceed from here. What is Paul doing? He's in the midst of defending his apostleship to a church that has received a bunch of false apostles, a bunch of men who were trying to deceive and mislead them away from the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul, who had planted the church in Corinth with the true gospel, is now being questioned, is now being undermined by these men. And many of the Corinthians had, had... swallowed their lies about Paul. And so Paul writes this letter, and in this particular part of the letter, he's in the midst of defending. Why am I a true apostle? But he can't stand it that he has to do this. It's driving him crazy, because he's not a proud man. Paul had learned humility. He was a proud man, but it's like one of those things when, anybody struggle with anger? Anybody out there? There's a few honest people. I did, right? And it's like my pre-Jesus days were just all about anger, right? And so, like, if I have to use anger now, I feel like I'm going back to then, right? It doesn't feel good. But can you be angry and not sin? Yes. Yes, you can, right? Anger itself is not a sin. It's how we use the anger, what we do with it, right? But Paul was, like, in this midst of, like, saying, man, I have to boast I have to talk about all the things that are in my life. Well, that's what I used to be. I used to be a Pharisee and that's what we're all about. We walk around boasting. Well, I've left that life behind, but now I feel like I have to bring it back up a little bit because I'm in the midst of just trying to win you guys over so you'll listen to me because I care about you following Jesus. That's really what Paul's saying here. Verse two, I know a man in Christ who was caught up The word caught up there is the Greek word harpazo. Sound like anything that we know of? Harpazo. Harpoon, right? Anybody know what a harpoon does? It shoots out and then it pulls back, right? Whatever you catch. A harpoon. So I know a man in Christ who was caught up into the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether he was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. I know that this man, whether in the body, or out of the body, I don't know, God knows, was caught up into paradise. He heard inexpressible words, which a man is not allowed to speak. Paul's saying that 14 years earlier, well, at this point, most scholars believe this was about 56 to 58 AD, when Paul's writing this letter. This is some 25 years after Jesus had risen from the dead. Paul was already an apostle of Jesus Christ for some time now, for more than a decade. He had been serving and traveling and ministering to churches in the name of Jesus Christ. But he goes back to a moment 14 years earlier that happened just after his conversion. You can actually read about this uh, conversion in Acts chapter nine, where the apostle Paul was on a road to Damascus. He, was, he, was, he had papers given to him by the Jerusalem uh, Rabbis who were in the Jewish faith, and they said, We're done with these Christians. So we give you permission, Paul, to hunt them down, to imprison them, and to even kill them if they resist. And Paul was on that journey when the Lord Jesus appeared to him. And he said, Saul, at the time his name was Saul, his name was changed later by God to Paul. Saul, why do you persecute me? What are you doing? And he goes, Who are you, Lord? And he goes, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. Now get up and go into the town and do what I tell you to do. And at that moment forward, Paul was a changed man. He had an encounter with Jesus Christ that changed him. And you know, if you've ever had a true encounter with Jesus Christ, you will not be left the same. You'll be changed. I pray that for everyone in this room. Jesus changes hearts and he changes lives. Now, the question is here is, uh, you know, was this this a thing that he was in the body? Was he literally taken up? Was it just a vision in his mind? We don't know, right? It's like temporal and spatial sensations. They're absent in this place that Paul was taken. It's not like our world. There wasn't time and space where Paul went. It was a place that he calls paradise. Now, notice he says it in the third person, right? I know a man. Why didn't he just say, hey, I was caught up? Because this was a common language used in that time by rabbis, by teachers. They would, in their case, feign humility, right, by saying, I know this guy. It's really me, right? Paul is using that language because, hey, the, the Corinthians are listening to that kind of language. So he's not feigning humility, he has genuine humility. He doesn't want to say it was me, I'm the one who receives all the visions, I'm amazing. No, he does it in the third person. But it's about his life. Verse 5, I will boast about this person, but not about myself, except of my weaknesses. Remember, he had already talked about that it was about his weaknesses is where he boasted, not about the things that were amazing in his life. Paul was a humble man by this point in his journey. For if I want to boast, verse 6, I will not be a fool because I will be telling the truth. Unlike the fools that you're listening to that boast falsely. right? He's, He's contrasting himself against the ones they're listening to who go around boasting all the time, but they're making up fibs and lies and stories that make them sound good. Paul's telling the truth. Paul was a man who received visions and revelations from the Lord all the time. Look at at his life. He was constantly in communication and communion with God. But I will spare you so that no one can credit me with something beyond what he sees in me or hears from me. Paul's basically saying, like, anybody can talk about this kind of stuff, but I want to be genuine before you. What you see and what you hear is who I am and and what I've done. And I want you to judge me on that. Especially because of the extraordinary revelations. Now, I have three points this morning I want to point out about Paul's life that made him built strong. His experience. Number one, he was confident in God's glory. Now, if you were caught up into paradise, into the third heaven and you experienced that in real life, if you had that experience, would you not come back confident of God's glory? You would, right? God honored him with a visit to paradise. Now, what is this third heaven? There's a lot made of this idea of third heaven. We don't speak in this language today. And so I wanna go through this a little bit with you guys. Number one, the first heaven is our Earth's atmosphere, it's our sky. It's the place above where the Earth's terrain ends and the horizon begins and we see this atmosphere where the birds fly and the clouds are at. That's the first heaven in the Greek world at the time of Paul. And then there's a second heaven. The second heaven is the place beyond the first heaven. So beyond our atmosphere, once you leave our atmosphere, my son Josh is studying aerospace engineering. He knows all kinds of stuff about that. I have no idea. But at some point, you leave the earth's official boundary, and now you're out into the second heaven. And the second heaven is the place where the moon and the sun and the stars exist. You know, the psalmist, David, in Psalm 19, he wrote these words. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hand. What is he saying? He's saying those heavens, those first two heavens that we can see, that we can experience, they're full of God's glory. Have you ever looked? Have you ever wondered? Have you ever thought like who put all this here? Who set all this in motion? It's it's too wonderful for me to comprehend. We can actually it's all like a clock They can actually predict where planets will be and where all these things will align and all uh, all the stars will move because God made it like a clock. It it works in in just perfect order. It's not chaotic out there. It's, It's ordered, and God put it into being. So what is the third heaven? The third heaven is the place that Paul refers to here as paradise. It's the place where God's throne resides. It's the place where we leave time and space. Because God does not dwell, he's not limited, he's not bound by his own creation. That'd be silly. When I create something, when I make a sandcastle on the beach, I'm outside of that sandcastle. I'm not inside the little particles of sand, right? That's God. He created something. He set it into motion, but he's outside of that. He's in the invisible realm. We can't see it. We can't even fully comprehend it as physical human creatures that God's created to to live and dwell within this boundary of time, space, and matter. That's the third heaven that Paul got to experience firsthand. That's the place where he was caught up. Listen to Luke chapter 22, verse 39, because Jesus himself speaks about this place. As he's hanging on the cross, it says in Luke twenty-two, thirty-nine: 39, then one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other answered, rebuking him. Don't you even fear God since you are undergoing the same punishment? We are punished justly Because we're getting back what we deserve for the things we did. But this man, this man, this Jesus has done nothing wrong. There's a testimony about what what they knew, what Jesus' reputation was in that society. He was a perfect man. And yet he was suffering the same punishment, the punishment of crucifixion. Then in verse 42, then he said, Jesus, he demonstrates his faith. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, I assure you today, when? A thousand years from now? Sometime after the resurrection of the dead? Today you will be with me in paradise. Where was Jesus headed once he died on that cross? He was headed to the place of God's throne. He was headed to the place to be reunited with his father. The book of Hebrews says this, after he provided purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high in heaven. That's where Jesus lives. That's where Jesus exists. That's where he's at home. He had left his home to come to earth. And he did it for a real important reason. He did it for you and me. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, Paul writes these words, We would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Amen. What's he writing? He's saying that as soon as your body separates from your spirit at death, your spirit is taken to heaven if you're in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Your body, what happens to it? It goes into the ground. It goes into some sort of furnace. It goes somewhere, right, until the resurrection when it's gonna be resurrected, no matter what it looks like at that point, it's resurrected and instantly changed into a spiritual body that will last forever. But your spirit, who you are, the essence of who you are, is instantly taken to be with Jesus the moment that you are separated from your body. That's what scripture teaches. Paul knew that, Paul understood that. Revelation chapter two, verse seven. Anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. I will give the victor. How do you become victorious? you got to read more. You don't become victorious by your own good works. You don't become victorious by doing seven Hail Marys. You become victorious through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. I will give the victor the right to eat from the tree of life. Where's the tree of life today? which is in God's paradise. Do you realize there's still a tree of life? Do you remember back in the Garden of Eden? Was there a tree of life? Yes, and there was also a tree of knowledge of good and evil. As soon as the Adam and Eve ate from the, uh, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, God said, we got to block them off from the tree of life. And he expelled them from the garden so they couldn't have access to the tree of life. One day we are going to be reunited with that tree of life in paradise. And we can eat from its fruit. And we will be eternal. Because we'll have access to the tree of life. Which is in God's paradise. What did Paul see, hear, or experience? It says he was forbidden to communicate. It was inexpressible, the things that he heard. Possibly because it applied to him alone. This is just one idea, but Acts chapter 9, verse 11. Ananias was a a disciple of Jesus in the early church, and he happened to be called by God on a mission. Remember I told you that the Apostle Paul had been blinded by this light, and he had been told to do something. And and we're going to read about it here in verse 11. Get up and go to the street called straight. The Lord said to him, speaking of Ananias, to the house of Judas and asked for a man from Tarsus named Saul, also known as the Apostle Paul, by us today, since he is praying there. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and placing his hands on him so he can regain his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard from many people about this man. How much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. Uh, Are you sure you've got the right guy? Are you sure you know what you're doing, God? Because uh, we have more information down here on earth about this dude you might be missing. You ever tried to tell God something? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he has authority here from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go. You ever been a, like, I, I think of this as a parent when my kids ask all kinds of questions and you already know like, what's best for them and you give them instructions and they have all these questions and doubts about whether or not you know what you're doing. That's kind of like what's happening here, right? God's like, oh gosh, go for this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to the Gentiles, kings, and the Israelites. I will show him, this is the interesting part, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. It was soon after this that Paul relates back 14 years to a moment right after this took place that he said he was caught up into the third heaven, into paradise. What did he hear there? What did he see? It's possible that God was showing him exactly what his life was gonna look like, how it was gonna unfold, but also the glory that awaited him in heaven. That's why he was able to write these words. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. Did Paul understand something about all the trials and tribulations that he was facing in his life? He did. Where did he get it? I don't know for sure, but part of me thinks that maybe it was in that third heaven experience. He understood God's glory. Verse 7, therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn, literally the word in the Greek is stake or spear. I've hiked in um, by the Dead Sea, or not the Dead Sea, but the Sea of Galilee. And I was on a trail, and I was with my son Micah. Where is Micah today? He's right there. And he can tell you firsthand how big these thorns were that were going through my skin. First, they were going through like, my ankles and my you know, shoes and stuff. And then I fell into a bush because I lost my balance. And Micah can tell you that he was laughing at me. But. but it hurt. It was so aggravating. A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan, to torment me so I would not exalt myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times to take it away from me. A messenger of Satan. This is literally a demon. A demon was given to Paul. In what form? We don't know for sure. We can speculate, and I'm going to speculate for a few minutes in in just a minute. It was there to torment me so that I would not exalt myself. Why did God allow it into Paul's life? Because what did Paul struggle with early on in his life? Pride. 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 What did Paul need to be reminded of all the time? Dependence on God, humility. So God knew better than Paul what he needed to carry out his ministry. But Paul didn't know, he he pleaded with the Lord like please just take it away. Take it away from me. To be built strong, Paul's experience, he was convinced of God's goodness. God had humbled him with a thorn in his flesh and he realized that it was for his own good. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Paul also writing these words to the church in Rome. In the same way, the Spirit also joins to help us in our weakness. Because we do not know what to pray for, as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. This tells us that the Holy Spirit, once he moves into our our life and our heart, when we accept Jesus as our Savior, he begins to intercede and help us with with the throne of grace in our prayers. Even if we don't know what to pray for or how to pray, the Holy Spirit does the work for us on our behalf. And he who searches the heart knows the Spirit's mindset because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. This all precedes a verse that we know well. What is the verse? Verse 28. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. Paul knew that God was good. That God worked things for the good. Even this thorn in his flesh, he became convinced that God was working for his good. It's not until we see God's glory and God's goodness that we're going to be prepared and built strong in our faith. Paul was given a constant reminder of his weakness. What is this thorn in the flesh? Well, there's many ideas. Could have been something like some sort of incessant temptation, uh, some sort of chronic illness. Could have been some sort of disability in his speech or in his ability to write. there were so many ideas and theories that have floated out there. but one thing that's kind of interesting is this verb, if you go back to the verb um, a thorn was given to my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me right that word uh, when you when you uh, the verb in the Greek there is a, it's always associated with another human being, right? So it's this idea that he was always facing opposition. And even in this moment, he's writing a letter. He's, if you will, wasting his time, he thinks, right? He's having to write all this stuff that he's like, I'm tired of having to boast, I'm tired of having to write this stuff, but he's doing it, why? Because he's facing what? Opposition. From these false apostles, these false teachers that have just dogged his ministry in his life. It's possible, I'm not saying it has to be, but it's possible that the thorn in his flesh was he wanted the opposition to these false apostles and false teachers to just be shown for what they are and just be dismissed and be removed from his ministry. He's like, if that was out of the way, I could do amazing things for God. And yet God said, that won't be out of your way. I'm allowing it, and partly to keep you humble, from keeping you to being exalting yourself in your ministry. Can we be tempted to think we're greater than we are? We can all struggle with that, amen? You know, what would you like to have removed from your life? Maybe some sort of physical ailment that God has allowed into your life, maybe some sort of relational issue that you continue to have to deal with or struggle with. Maybe money worries. How many want money worries removed from your life? A bully, a thorn in your flesh. God doesn't always answer our prayers the way we want him to answer our prayers, does he? We want substitution. God desires transformation. You know, substitution is like, God, instead of this, this health issue, I just want to be healthy. I just want to have things go easy with my health. Sometimes God's all, no, I'm going I'm to walk you through that because I'm transforming you. I'm making a change in your character and who you are, and I'm using that as an instrument to change you, to transform you into who I want you to be. You know, we want wealth instead of poverty. We want to substitute wealth for poverty. We see poverty as the issue. We just go win the lottery and we're wealthy. And we end up going to a 7-Eleven and buying a lotto ticket when it's one point something billion dollar. I hope it's nobody in here. You should be giving it to the offering. All right. But we do these things. Why? Because we think that that would be the solution to what ails us. We want to substitute what we are experiencing with what we envision will make things better. And God says, not so fast. I value transforming you through what you're facing. Verse 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, catastrophes, persecutions, and in pressures. I want you guys to slow down and read that one more time. And I want you to think about, do I do what Paul is saying here? I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, catastrophes, persecutions, and in pressures. Why? Paul gives us the understanding. Because of Christ. Because I am trusting Christ. I have put my life into Christ's hands, and I know that if he's going to allow any of this into my life, it's for a good reason. And so I delight that he considers me worthy of being transformed into his likeness. And he's using these as an instrument To carve away my pride. To carve away my insecurities. To carve away the things that are keeping me from being all that I should be for him. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Build strong. Paul's experience, he was comforted by God's grace. He was comforted by God's grace. God helped him through times of hardship and weakness by providing his dynamis. That's the Greek word. Anybody... Dynamis, dynamite, his power and his strength. God has dynamite that he wants to give you into your life. But it only works when we're weak. Then we rely on God's dynamite to get us through. What is grace? Grace is used over 150 times in the New Testament. It's all throughout the New Testament. Every good thing we have ever received from God is because of his grace. Grace in the Greek is a word meaning a favor bestowed on a person who doesn't earn it or deserve it. It's a kindness that is unmerited. In the New Testament, it's used to describe God's divine favor given to those who rightfully deserve his wrath and judgment. That's what grace is. It's God's favor instead of God's Punishment and wrath. It's amazing. There's even songs about it. It's at the heart of the gospel, the good news, describing for us what God has done through his son, Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. For it is by grace that you are saved through faith. And this isn't of yourselves, it's a gift from God. God's grace, it's amazing, God's grace is the power of God that awakens us to our desperation. It's grace that transforms our hearts and makes them a home for God to live. It is grace that rescues us from our sin. It's grace that saves us and provides us a hope and a future full of life unending and love eternal. Have you received this grace? Have you received God's grace? I pray that you have. But if you haven't, today can be the day of salvation. Today can be the day where you humble yourself and realize, I need Jesus. I've offended God's law. I've I've done things wrong. I know it eats me up inside and I deserve the punishment and wrath of God, but instead I want grace, and God wants to give it to you. What does it take to receive God's grace? James chapter 4, verse 6, but he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the who? Humble. I urge you this morning to humble yourself before the living God, to cry out to him, I need your grace, I need your salvation, I need your Savior, Jesus. He'll answer that prayer. He'll move into your heart. He'll transform your life. He'll begin to use the circumstances that you face to move you from where you were to where you need to be in him. As we close this morning, I want to invite the worship team. We're going to have a few moments of of response this morning, but I want to challenge you. We saw what Paul's experience was, right? We saw what Paul experienced. Paul understood and he experienced the glory of God. Paul understood and he experienced the goodness of God. And Paul understood and he experienced the grace of God. What does it take for us? How can my life be built strong? Number one, base each decision you make with the reality of paradise in view. See, we don't have to be taken up to paradise to know that it exists, do we? Paul had a unique privilege. Paul was given that honor. But Paul wrote about it. It's trustworthy. It's true. There is a third heaven, and we're all going to find ourselves there one day. Do we live with that reality in view? Do we make each decision based on that understanding that we're all going to appear before God and be accountable for the choices that we make? If we want to be built strong, that's the way we got to live out our life. Not for the here and now, not for the temptation that's right in front of you, but for the eternal reward, for the eternal reality that we will all face. I can't tell you how many times as a pastor I've seen people who have not done step one and they wonder why their life in Christ is struggling. Because all they're doing is they're thinking about the here and now. They're thinking about the temporary. They're thinking how it might affect their security or their comfort in life right now or their enjoyment. Did Paul consider that or did he consider what was important for eternity as he lived out his life? Number two, see trials and hardships, not as reasons to grumble, but as opportunities to grow. How often I find myself grumbling. I find myself grumbling at times when I face something that I don't like. But I got to turn it around and I got to see it as an opportunity to grow. God is still, he's not done with me. He's still trying to teach me something. He's still trying to shape me into somebody that he wants to use for his glory. Do we see those things that we don't like as opportunities to just grumble and complain? Are we confident that he is still growing us into who he wants us to be? And number three, know that God's grace is always sufficient for you, especially in your areas of weakness. Lean into his dynamism. His power and His strength. Do you believe it? Do you believe that His grace is sufficient? We got to live it out. We got to choose it each and every day. Amen. Let's close in prayer and then we're going to respond. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the example of the Apostle Paul. I ask God, your Holy Spirit, to have freedom in hearts right in this moment even as we begin to respond in in praise and singing and worship to you, God, if you're speaking into a heart, help them not be distracted from that moment. Help them to be attentive to what you're calling them to do. And God, if you're calling them to repent of their sin and turn to a Savior, I pray that they'll see someone in the prayer team that'll be at the tables, and they'll say, hey, I I need a Savior. I need to repent of my sin. And And they'll love the opportunity to pray and and walk you through that moment. And maybe you're just struggling with something else. Don't be afraid to lean into others. That's why we're here. We want to pray for you. We want to encourage you. And God, I just pray that we will be convinced of your glory, your goodness, and your grace. We need it. Help us to embrace it with all that we are in Jesus' name.